The Fall of Roe. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, editor at quorumreport.com and at houstonchronicle.com. We find Jeremy Wallace, who is, again, coming fresh off the road, you know, just attending these campaign rallies and events all over Texas. And Jeremy, you got a lot more to attend because it's only May 6th. Yeah, isn't it crazy? We are like literally six months away from Mm -hmm. Election Day. And I got a feeling that for the next six months, it's going to be like this, where I literally just got out of the car like minutes ago to start recording this. Yeah. In fact, we'll do some of these while you're driving and we'll see how that goes. You know, you've yeah. written, you've actually written news stories. I've done this too. Like you, you write it down and you are actually typing while you're driving. Then you file it for the newspaper or for your website or whatever. We've done that for decades and we'll continue to do it all well, throughout the, best the cycle. Thing in the, the best thing in the world is that whole talk to text stuff. That's gotten so mm-hmm. much better over the years. I, I can read an entire story, you know, while driving, you know, into my phone and it, turns it into a story although yes although when uh one of my contributors uh will uh text me and say i'll have a problem for you coming up on monday what they meant was they they were going to have a column for me on monday Uh, they were putting together (laughs) i'm I'm sitting here thinking another problem to solve i don't need that um things are getting tense uh, very tense um over the leaked opinion from the united states supreme court on the question of whether uh roe versus wade will be overturned, and it looks like it's going to be. I turned on the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell, and here's what I see. Good evening, and thank you so much for joining us on this Thursday night. And as we come on the air tonight, public protests are spreading across the nation following the leaked draft decision from the Supreme Court that would end federal protection of abortion rights. While the demonstrations have been mostly peaceful so far, there is growing concern about potential violence leading up to the official ruling. Fences have gone up around the Supreme Court as crowds are expected to grow in the days and weeks ahead. So protests are happening right now, Jeremy, and you have a lot of really heated rhetoric uh, on both sides uh, in this, and we'll cover all of it for you. Um, In Texas, this is particularly uh, important because this is one of the states and one of the states that has led on this on restricting abortion, even as Roe versus Wade has been what people thought was the settled law of the land. Now, Governor Greg Abbott is treading sort of lightly on this, although I'm going to, and I've done this before, Jeremy, I'm going to give our colleagues uh, in the rest of the media a little bit of grief about something. I don't think there's any ambiguity or vagueness to what Abbott actually thinks about this, right? I mean, what he thinks about the issue. He did not put out any sort of uh, uh, an official statement immediately. And you know that there were uh, office holders who were handling this in different ways because of the way that this news came out. Right? Have you ever and has it ever happened in the history of the United States Supreme Court that a ruling of this magnitude was leaked early? Well, except for Roe versus Wade, the original version was leaked before it. You know, it, it got out. But so, yeah, it has happened before. But the, this was in the way this it came out is certainly mm-hmm. very unique compared to the last yes. 50 years of judicial politics. Right. Right. And something we haven't seen in our lifetimes, for sure. I mean, in, in this in the modern era, uh, nothing like this has happened. In fact, I was looking at uh, you know some of the Supreme Court history on this stuff. 
And the fact is that there have been other rulings, decisions that were sort of leaked early, or there were some indications, you know, from within the court about what was going to happen on a certain issue. But a lot of times what would happen is that would be given to somebody who's writing a book and the book would not even come out until after the official opinion had come out. So there were different ways in which this is sort of unfolded. But because of the way that this news came out, um, the governor of this state, Greg Abbott, was able to sort of get away with not really talking about exactly what's in that opinion. He was on the Rick Roberts show, WBAP in Dallas, by the way, WBAP celebrating a hundred years on the air right now. I think they got their uh, money originally from Eamon Carter, the publisher of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. He said, here's a hundred bucks and just try to not go broke. A hundred years later, they're still there. Um, Rick Roberts, would you think that Governor Abbott Got tough questioning from him or not? Uh, I'll say a no. No, that's right. Rick Roberts basically says that Governor Abbott is wonderful. He's great. And they were having a love fest. And Abbott was agreeing vehemently with the host that what happened here is a historic breach of the security of the U.S. Supreme Court. So it was. And so I want to pick up with where you left off, and that is... Uh, it, it, you, you cannot underscore the importance of what you were referencing when you said this was a first draft, uh, because, because I think the fact that it was a draft and that we, we don't know yet whether or not there are uh, five or more solid votes in favor of it. Now, I believe this was an effort by somebody at the United States Supreme Court, likely a staffer, likely a clerk, uh, who was trying to hijack the decision process and use intimidation. Uh, to intimidate justices on the United States Supreme Court, either to uh, not agree with that draft uh, or to abandon that draft so that uh, that draft would not be the final draft of what uh, opinion the Supreme Court would issue. And so this is an extraordinary action by somebody uh, who clearly uh, is acting in a way that either is in violation of the law uh, or uh, certainly uh, could and should be disbarred for it. Uh, But uh, I, I will tell you what I think the appropriate solution should be in the short term. And that is, I think, uh, to show the public that the United States Supreme Court will not be intimidated. I think the United States Supreme Court needs to issue that opinion this week. Now, the the, the dissenting justices will say they don't have time to have their opinions written. And and listen, there's long precedent for the fact that uh, a dissenting opinion can be issued weeks or months after the majority opinion is issued. If during that interview you took a shot every time abbott used the word draft you'd be on your way to a pretty good weekend jeremy uh he was saying that he was saying that look this isn't necessarily the final exact wording of this and i'm sure it happens a lot in the supreme court process that the first draft of whatever it is it's a lot like uh, the way they write uh, legislation or the way people put together a speech the first draft is not exactly how it turns out but this does seem to be the majority opinion at this point. Um, here's where I'm going to give uh, our colleagues in media grief. People are saying he's treading lightly. They're overemphasizing that. He's sort of doing that. People are saying that he's been, quote, very quiet about it, close quote. Not really. He's not quiet about it. You heard him right there. He said they should go ahead and issue this draft this week, issue the opinion uh, this week. And here's the most important thing. You don't have to guess what Greg Abbott thinks about the abortion issue and about Roe versus Wade. It's not so much what he said, because you could sit here and go through all the word salad, his, his interviews, it go, the, the, the words just go on and on and on. Sometimes they aren't really even 
complete sentences that are coming out of his mouth. Um, but we do know that when a piece of paper, a bill from the legislature, was placed on his desk to immediately outlaw abortion, if Roe versus Wade is overturned, what did he do? He signed it into law. He exercised his power such that if this does hold up and Roe is overturned, Jeremy, almost every abortion will be illegal in this state as soon as this year. Yeah, absolutely. And and for the, you know, that I had a real problem with the people who were saying that he was treading lightly as well, too, because, you know, all I heard, like he, he did that interview, then he did an interview on the Joe Pag show on WOAI radio in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. You know, then he had a press conference where he talked about it after he was asked questions. And like it, through all of it, he's he basically said he wants his opinion uh, made you know, put out now, which means he supports the, the opinion. Uh, he declared the state pro-life, and then he went on a whole diatribe about how the last time a Democrat ran on this issue or was considered, you know, uh, uh, pro-choice and ran against him, he mm-hmm. beat Wendy Davis, you know, by twenty points. And so he talked about all that stuff all week long. So. To me, he wasn't quiet at all. He was quiet if you were waiting for him to write something on Twitter. But, like, here's a newsflash. It's like just because something's not said on Twitter, it doesn't mean it's not said. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like it's, it's, there's been plenty of noise out there. It's like he's been on all kinds of shows talking about this thing. And yeah. it's just, like, taking the time to listen to it. He was even at a prayer breakfast thing on Thursday morning. I didn't mm-hmm. get to it, but I'm, I'm willing to bet my life <laughs> that he did talk about this issue uh, as well. So I don't think he's been quiet. Is this people aren't listening in the right spots, maybe? Well, they're not listening in the right spots, but it was on social media as well. I mean, you can find these interviews on Twitter, yeah, on Facebook, absolutely. all over the place. Uh, I think it's that people want him to say they want him to, they want it to be easy and him say, I agree with this opinion, you know, quote unquote, or yeah. whatever. Instead, he says all this stuff about process. And look, Governor Abbott is a former judge, and I do believe that, you know, at a base level, he probably does have, um, you know, some objection and is offended uh, at the fact that a clerk or somebody at the U.S. Supreme Court leaked this. Uh, One person was joking to me, is the IRS going to start leaking next? You notice it's the only agency that never leaks. They don't have it, you know, no one gets mad at Trump and uh, suddenly his returns are out there for everybody because it leaked from the IRS. doesn't happen. So the Supreme Court leaks in a way that we hadn't seen, at least in the modern era. Uh, And you have the governor, you know, I think, uh, you know, objecting to that in a legitimate way. But Abbott has trashed the process in Texas in a fundamental way across issues. You know, he is he is uh, prosecuting the border, uh, you know, crisis with no legislative oversight. He's doing everything unilaterally. Uh, His right-wing conservative critics have been upset about his executive orders across a whole bunch of issues, including the pandemic and other things. Um, And so for him to get kind of caught up in process, when in my estimation, he doesn't really care that much, what it allows him to do on the Rick Roberts show or the Joe Pag show or any of these conservative media outlets, Jeremy, it allows him to say something that lets them think, it lets that audience think that he's on their side without fully saying it. Now, why would the governor want to triangulate that way? Well, when it comes to abortion, the politics are a little more complicated than Abbott is making it out to be when he brings up that 2014 example you're talking about with Wendy Davis. I covered that race, and let me tell you something. The fact that anyone would portray it as only a referendum on abortion, they're either uh, omitting a lot of really important things, or they weren't there 
and I know that Abbott was, <laughs> um, you have uh, you have people who want to make it about abortion because they are, you know, very stridently against abortion. And and that can be, you know, one of the things that they uh, make as part of their argument against it. The people in Texas hate abortion. And so they voted against uh, Wendy Davis by 21 points. But that was a very it, look. All these elections are dynamic. There are a lot of issues at play. Uh, what happened with Senator Davis and I was there back when I was allowed on the Senate floor in uh, in Austin um, in 2013, 13 hours on the Senate floor uh, for an abortion filibuster by Senator Davis. It was my understanding that originally then Senator uh, Kirk Watson from Austin was the one who was going to do the abortion. And then as the Democrats talked about it, they said, well, that's not good casting. Basically, that it should be a woman, which makes sense. Right. So they say, OK. Uh, Senator Davis will do it. Now, I have known Wendy Davis going back to when she was on the Fort Worth City Council many years ago when I worked at CBS in Dallas-Fort Worth. And at that time, you might have mistaken her for a Republican because she was a very pro-business, pro-economic development, would have been one of the people, you know, promoting tax incentives and that sort of stuff. Um, like when they brought, uh, what is the big, uh, uh, Cabela's, the big, uh, um, uh, the big sporting goods store, uh, do the tax incentives and all that sort of stuff. You would have thought she was a Republican, but guess what? When you go from city council to legislature, well, then you have to start taking positions on these uh, very divisive social issues. And Senator Davis is a Democrat. She ended up uh, being portrayed as, quote, abortion Barbie. So Republicans at the time wanted to portray her that way and make the whole uh, campaign about abortion. Um, but she was never planning to really run for governor. Um, it ended up that she seemed to be the right candidate at the time. Um, because there was just this, um, is this incredible national and even global recognition of what she had done that night for 13 hours standing against this abortion bill. Um, but the fundamental difference to me, Jeremy, you, you can set aside all that sort of minutia. Fundamentally, the bill that she was filibustering in 2013 did things like regulate how wide hallways could be in abortion clinics, which did result in the closure of some clinics. They had to be uh, on the same standards as ambulatory surgical centers, which uh, folks who provide abortions will say was not necessary and ended up uh, you know, closing some of these clinics. Uh, and Republicans, including at the time, Lieutenant Governor David Dewhurst, had said a goal was to close down some clinics. But that, compared to now, yeah. where Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned, it looks like, it's apples and oranges, really, or what's something closer? Uh, uh, lemons and oranges, right? It's, it's something that is still in the same fruit family, <laughs> but these are different things. That was nibbling around the edges in 2013, and this is going right at the issue of whether a woman has a right to an abortion, and in Texas, pretty soon, it looks like she won't. Yeah, exactly. And that's a very good distinction because like, you know, whatever they were talking about in 2014 is you just can't compare it to like what we're now hearing from Beto O'Rourke as he's you know talking about like women not having access to abortion, even if they're raped, even if they're victims of incest, you know, mm -hmm. you know, in any circumstances, you know, it's like that is a totally different thing. And the crowds are very different. Yeah. So I, right. I think it's a completely different topic. I talked to Wendy Davis about it earlier this week. You know, mm -hmm. I asked her about like what Abbott said about how 2014 to him was 
referendum on abortion, and he beat the tar out of her. And she said it definitely was not a referendum on abortion. You know, that race was, you know, Greg Abbott wasn't well known by a lot of voters. You know, Republicans were voting for him thinking he was one thing. And in her estimation, he turned out to be something very different that, you know, you know, she tried to warn the state about, but folks didn't get it. You know, but now they're understanding you know, how tragic of a decision that was. That's her words talking about it. Uh, but so it, definitely a different kind of, it, it, like everybody's going to have their perspective on what 2014 mm-hmm. was about. Uh, yeah. But clearly no one issue, you know, decided that race. Uh, and going and going into this cycle, no one issue is going to decide the race either. And I would also say that in 2014 versus 2018, just four years later, you went from... Um, an election where the turnout was abysmal to an election where it was presidential level turnout in 2018, right? So the electorate, the electorate is very different. As you have reported many times, there has been this effort on both the Democratic and Republican side to register so many more voters that was mainly driven by the Democrats who were trying to get more people out, right? And then the, the Republicans had to answer with something, uh, and they have done that to their success uh, so far. In that press conference, that you attended at the uh, Capitol with Beto O'Rourke, one of the things that Beto was asked about was how he would approach this issue if he wins the governor's office, but, and this is the likelihood, Democrats remain in the minority in the legislature. I'm gonna do everything I can with the power of this office, working with those who have been leading on this issue for so many years, especially those in elected office like Representative Inahosa and Senator Eckhart, as well as their colleagues from both sides of the aisle. I, I mentioned being in Canadian Texas, right? Not, not the deepest blue part of the state. Um, before I could get to it, someone stood up in the audience and said, I haven't heard you talk about a woman's right to choose yet. Th- this is something that is nearly universal in the state of Texas, regardless of geography, of partisanship, or any other difference between us. People want our rights respected. And I know that public pressure will come to bear on those Republican representatives to do the right thing. And he's going to have a big abortion rally in Houston this weekend. We're going to organize, we're going to rally, and we're going to fight for the rights of our fellow Texans, especially the right to an abortion that is under attack in this state, unlike any other place in the country. And when we do this, when we organize, when we rally, and especially when we fight, we will win. And if ever there were a time to win in Texas, it is now. Jeremy, he mentioned that when he was in Canadian, uh, which is almost all the way up to Oklahoma, uh, that he had women there asking the question, why haven't you talked about abortion rights for women? Uh, So all over the state, it is something that people are questioning. I think that here's what might be um, an interesting dynamic for this election. In 2018, one of, not the only, but one of the reasons that Democrats were more competitive is that Republicans were doing things that were offensive even to some voters who have typically been open to voting for Republicans, especially women who live in the suburbs. So places that we have talked about many times, Collin County, Denton County, Fort Bend County, um, in Hayes County, Williamson County, and along that blue spine that you have described, the blue spine of Texas along the I-35 corridor. So even in rural areas, you have women asking this question, what about the right to an abortion? And, you know, I think it's such a difficult thing to talk about because, you know, when you're, when you're first reporting on abortion, I think about 20 years ago when I would have been first writing anything about abortion, it's, 
it's something that you've really got to think about the language you use because, for, for example, you might say a woman who wanted an abortion, and that is not the way you should write it, right? Like yeah. you, you don't know if she wants an abortion. It's probably, it may be breaking her heart that she's having an abortion. There might be a woman who wants an abortion and is happy about it. That can be. But a lot of times, probably most of the time, it's that a woman is heartbroken about an abortion. When we hear about late-term abortions, it's with a woman who was hoping to have a child and she finds out that she's got a fetal, you know, that there's a fetal abnormality. For example, the child is growing with no brainstem or doesn't have lungs and isn't going to survive outside the womb. And they, and you know, the parents find out about this at the very end of the pregnancy that happens. And so it's not that a woman quote wanted an abortion. It's a woman who seeks an abortion. It's a woman who goes to get an abortion. You have to be very careful about how you talk about that because, because you want to be accurate right? And, and these are deeply emotional things. I mean, think about, uh, and here's the way Cecile Richards put it on uh, MSNBC the other day. She was saying that, you know, for people who really want the government to step in here, the question isn't about whether you personally are for abortion. The question is, is it up to the rest of us to make decisions for a woman when she's in a very difficult situation? This isn't about whether how you feel about abortion. It is about do you want the government to make these decisions for every single person in this country? That's what they have just done. No exceptions. As Neil said, this is this is a devastating opinion if this should should actually come to pass. And it is going to change the lives and opportunities of every single person uh, in, in America. And it didn't happen. It did not happen because the American people rose up and said, we need to make abortion illegal. It happened because the Republican Party has been 100% committed to ending legal abortion for years, and they just did that. Now, if you're on the conservative side, you would say it is to the Republicans' credit that the party as an organization and the conservative movement has put this together right over the years. I mean, through the Federalist Society, the coming up with the names of justices for President Trump and other Republican presidents to nominate people to the highest court in the land. When people are shocked about what has happened here, I, I, I scratch my head, Jeremy, and I say, why is anybody surprised by this? It's happening in front of your face. The Republicans have been working on this. Um, think about, well, think about last year when people were shocked all around the country. You remember in September when the Supreme Court did not step in and block Senate Bill 8 out of Texas that bans abortions at six weeks, people were saying, well, what, what, wait, what happened? When you and I, of course, had been covering that at that point, uh, at least for, for five or six months, what had, you know, and what had happened in the legislative session, but people don't pay attention to it. And then when something touches their life, they go, wow, how did this happen? Yeah, look how uh, mission centric the Republican Party has been, you know, over the years on this issue. You know, you think about all those Republicans who were offended by Donald Trump in some way. You think about like the religious right who who know that Donald Trump is not a churchgoer. He doesn't know, th you know, quotes in the Bible. He didn't even know how to talk about the Bible. You know, he messed up, you know, verses all the time right. and you know, couldn't even read the teleprompter and some of the stuff. But like, you know, so they kn they knew that. But the gambit they played was that, look, you know, it's like we don't care about that. Like mm -hmm. the mission is to change this Supreme Court so right. we could have this day someday. And, you know, 
and I heard it time and time again when I was, you know, writing stories in, you know, 2016, 2018, you know, even 2020. It's like people were still talking about, it's like, I don't agree with a lot what he does, you know, right. but Republicans would tell me over and over again, but this is going to change the court and we got to change the court if we're ever going to get things like this done. You know, so they stay mission focused on this, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think, you know, maybe and that's where the Democrats wouldn't, you know, weren't as focused on it. There's certainly there's a pro-choice audience that was aggressive and always wanted to get out there. Don't get me wrong. Sure. But it wasn't it wasn't big enough. It wasn't an even moderate Democrat thought uh, that this is why I have to go, even if I don't right. like John Kerry or if I don't mm -hmm. like, you know, Lupe Valdez. Right. Like like whatever name. Whoever. Any, right. Yeah. Whoever it is is like, you know. That issue didn't drive them. Okay, I'm still going to vote for it because the court is so important to me. It's like nobody went to go vote for Hillary Clinton because oh, but what happens if uh, you know it's like the Supreme Court is going to switch balance? It's like no, that wasn't the driving issue for Democrats. It was for Republicans, and they right. here they are. They're they're at this moment now where they have control of this court, and every judicial precedent, you know, is now it could be relitigated. Yeah, in 2015 and 2016, I cannot tell you how many Republicans I talked to who were uh, skeptical of uh, then-candidate Trump, were not thrilled about his candidacy, but would say, I am going to hold my nose and vote for him because it's going to be the Supreme Court as the major question, who gets nominated, um, and what kind of decisions they would make, particularly on this. It, it wasn't any other issue they were bringing up. Yeah. It was this one. It was about abortion. Well, and, and it's so interesting to think about Texas's place in all of this. It's like you know, for, for you know, listeners who haven't heard this before, you know, like Roe versus Wade is a is a Texas thing. You know, it was right. a Texas woman uh, who was you know, Jane Doe. Mm -hmm. It was yep. you know Texas attorneys from the University of Texas <clears throat> who fought this case. You know, even in the pro life movement, you know, afterwards, like you know, Texans were all over the place in this. And you, you kind of, I, I like to go back to George H. W. Bush. You remember George mm -hmm. H. W. Bush was support of Planned Parenthood, even mm. though he was a pro-life guy, right? He could, you could straddle that line as a Republican uh, through the 1980s, early 1990s, at least. We know for a fact just because of George H.W. Bush's, you know, getting reelected all the time. He's kind of the father of, you know, re modern Republican politics in Houston, yeah. right? It's like, if right. it's not for him, you know, how much longer would it have taken? But like, he was able to kind of get through it. Imagine a candidate now on the Republican Party running to support Planned Parenthood, but is against, is, but is pro-life. It, it can't happen anymore. Yeah, right. But no. you just see, like, mm. Texas is always in the middle of this. It's it, like the yep. entire debate from 1972 uh, or 1970s all the way to now. It, you know, Texas is always in the middle of this thing. So it's just mm -hmm. no surprise to me that here we are. You know, it's like, you know, Texas you know, pushed the envelope so much on some of these, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, abortion rights issues in this last legislative session. It's no doubt we want to be in the middle of this fight. We want the entire, you know, conversation, you know, to be a battle about Dallas and Houston and San Antonio and Austin. And that's what it is now. It is now front and center, you know, voters in all those places. Now, there's a new reality. It's like the question is, you know, do you support, you know, can remember the state, you know, government right now, it's in state statute. Mm -hmm. You can't get an abortion for any reason except for the life of the mother. That is the it. only way you, know, you can get an abortion. And that is now the new reality of do you want that or should we change that? That's kind of the new question. 
Constitutional law professor Steve Vladek at UT Austin said, if the court's opinion stands as drafted, and look, they'll, they'll change it up a little bit. There'll be some different wording. It's probably already been changed up a little bit for you know from the draft that we saw, which was actually from earlier this year. But he says, if this stands, because look, this goes against the precedent. And how many uh, times did we listen throughout those Supreme Court nominating hearings? Listen to all these folks, Kavanaugh. Gorsuch, Coney Barrett, they all talked about the importance of what the lawyers call stare decisis, which is honoring previous precedents. Forget that. If, if, this is the, if this is the opinion that they go with, then you can forget that. Put that in the shredder of history, if that's where they go. Well, Vladek is saying that if they go this way, then it will probably spill over to other issues as well. It's very hard to imagine that this leak is going to somehow um, erode the apparent majority for this bottom line. If anything, I think it's likely to entrench that majority, which is part of why it's not obvious to me that the leak is coming from the left, um, as opposed to from those who might be trying to soften the ground for this result. Um, there's no guarantee that this is what we're going to get from the Supreme Court when all is said and done. We might get some kind of different opinion, might get a narrower opinion. But, you know, if this is where we're headed, and it certainly seems like there's a good reason to believe it is, um, that's going to just have shockwaves all across the country, not just when it comes to abortion, but when it comes to the rights of, you know, unpopular groups and unpopular rights writ large. Unpopular rights. Yes. This takes me to the next thing, Jeremy, which is Governor Abbott saying that Texas ought to take a look at kicking undocumented kids out of public schools. Did you see this interview? You yeah. mentioned uh, you mentioned my old co-worker, Joe Pagliarulo. Joe Pags. We worked together in Houston. Uh, he had a show on KTRH when I was a reporter there. And at the time, this was in, I want to say 2006, 2007, something like that. Let me go back to my notes and look. At the time, I had written a story, reported a story on the radio um, about the Cy Fair School District in Northwest Harris County. There were some parents there who were very angry about dual language immersion classes. Do you know what that is? That's where you put the kid, the, half the kids speak English and half the kids speak Spanish or some other language. They put them all together in the same classroom so that they learn from the teacher and they learn from each other, which is actually more important and is the best way to get people who don't speak English to speak it. And I'm underscoring that for a reason. People like Joe Pags, who has always asked questions like he asked Greg Abbott about, you know, undocumented kids in schools. Joe Pags and others were so angry about these dual language immersion classes. Why was that? Well, because the white kids were learning to speak Spanish and a, a bunch of those white parents didn't like that, right? I got to tell you, if for my daughter, they had offered dual language immersion, I'd have put her right in it to learn, you know, and, and the thing is when kids are young, that's when they're ready to learn another language. They pick it up way faster than any of, you know, any of us trying to do Duolingo or whatever on our cell phone, on our cell phones, do that app. So you saw Abbott doing this interview with Joe Pagliarulo when Abbott said this about undocumented students in public schools. The challenges put on our public systems is extraordinary. Uh, know this, and that is Texas already 
long ago sue the federal government uh, about having to uh, incur the cost uh, of that education program. Yes. It's a, a case called Plyler versus Doe. Uh, and the Supreme Court ruled against us uh, on the issue about denying, uh, or let's say Texas having to bear that burden. I think we will resurrect that case uh, and, and challenge this issue again because the expenses are extraordinary and the times are different than when Plyler versus Doe was issued many decades ago. So there is no question that the undocumented workforce in Texas is a net positive by the numbers. Right, $32.9 billion in annual net tax effect. 3.3 million jobs for Texans, not for the undocumented folks, but for Texans propped up by people who are in the workforce who might not be authorized to work in the United States. And, you know, Governor Abbott was saying that the uh, Plyler versus Doe decision, which came out of East Texas, out of Tyler, where what they wanted to do, Jeremy, was they wanted to charge tuition for folks who were undocumented to go to the public school system in Tyler. This went to federal court. The judge out there uh, in in, uh, Smith County, the federal judge, was William Wayne Justice, who was kind of a legend. I say kind of. He was a legend uh, in, you know, Texas politics and, and the judiciary. I saw an interview with him where he said that was the decision he made that was the one he was the most proud of. Because he stuck to the law and he did it in East Texas where people hated it that he had done that. I mean, you look at the fact that right now at the U.S. Supreme Court, they've got the gates up. They've got the they got the fences up and people don't need to get in there. What do you think security needed to be like for the federal judge in East Texas who yeah. said that the undocumented kids get to go to work here? Um, there's a, There's been a lot of great scholarly work on the net benefit economically to this state for having undocumented people here. And I think people think about the jobs, um, the job situation in sort of a, in a skewed way, uh, in sort of a zero sum game sort of way, which is not true. There's not a set number of jobs for people in Texas or in the United States, right? It's more dynamic than that. I think people who make this argument that, Hey, the undocumented people are here and they're taking jobs from you. That would be like to say, Hey, in, in this one little town, there are a hundred jobs. Just pick some small fixed number to make it easy to understand. There's a hundred jobs and we have three undocumented people in this town who are taking three of those jobs. So there's only 97 jobs for citizens. We know that's not how the, (laughs) that's not how the job market works. Sometimes there's a hundred jobs. Sometimes there's 130 jobs. Sometimes there's more jobs for people who are documented because there are people working these other jobs that prop up and support those other jobs. And there can be a ripple effect through the economy because people are here doing what? They're creating wealth. They're participating in the economy. They're paying taxes. Remember, we don't have an income tax here. So how are, how are the undocumented people paying taxes? Even if they are renters, it gets passed through their rent for property taxes, which is the, I'm going to underscore this, which is the way that public schools get paid for. There's nobody living in this state that doesn't chip in on property taxes somehow if they have an address, Jeremy. So all of this is designed to speak to folks who are so angry about the idea that you have kids who are here speaking Spanish. They don't like that. They don't like that they that they feel their communities or neighborhoods are changing and who are these people these are the people who supported former president trump 
the MAGA crowd, the people who rioted on January 6th, it's, it's not just them, but man, they are representative of the folks that Abbott's talking to. And I had a lot of uh, conversations over the last week with people who said, are y'all serious at Quorum Report when you talk about maybe Abbott eyeing a run for the presidency? Well, he doesn't need to be railing against abortion or railing against undocumented immigrants right now to have the advantage in this election. He's still the odds-on favorite to beat Beto O'Rourke, but I do think there is something to the idea that he and his advisors might be hoping that Ron DeSantis flames out in Florida. People forget this. He barely beat a Democrat to win. If it was no Abbott versus Wendy Davis 21-point blowout, Ron DeSantis barely won in Florida, and he could actually lose this year to Charlie Crist, who at one point I think was the most popular governor in America. Um, that could happen. And then guess what? It's a wide open field as long as Trump doesn't get in. Yeah, exactly. there's a lot to unpack there. But, you know, I definitely want to go back to, like, you know, the idea that, you know, if people are pushing back about Greg Abbott running for president, you know, am I saying he's going to win the presidency? I'm not so sure. But running for president and not winning uh, turns out to be a very smart move politically. You know, think about a guy like Rick Perry. Remember how, like, you know, he got destroyed in the presidential election, right? Oh, but he I found remember himself it well. But he found I, I'm, himself. I'm giddy thinking about it. Yeah, but he found himself <laughs> running the Department of Energy afterwards, mm -hmm. right? You know, it's like, in, would he get that job if he hadn't already been on the national stage? Not so sure. Look at Mike Huckabee, the Arkansas governor who became like a talk show host on Fox News. He got an entire program because right. of his run for the presidency. He lost. You know, look at Newt Gingrich. National Newt figure. Gingrich ended up selling so many books. I remember asking Newt Gingrich once, you know, like about like running for president. When uh, anytime he's around Iowa, he likes to, to give people the impression he might run for president because his book sales go through the roof. Uh, even though his books have nothing to do with, you know, it's all like Civil War stuff, typically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, so right. so there's there's a financial benefit and a career benefit to making sure you're in that conversation. So like, you know, if Greg Abbott, you know, I'm not saying he couldn't win the presidency, you know, cause it's way too far out to be even starting to break that stuff down. But you know, like he puts himself on the short list for all kinds of stuff. You know, think Pete Buttigieg, you know, Pete Buttigieg got mm -hmm. clobbered, you know, right. He got knocked out of the presidential run as right. like, and look, he's running the department of transportation. You know, there's a lesson that will be learned in that is that good things happen even when you lose as long as you're considered a legitimate contender. Well, and a legitimate contender. I was there in Des Moines on the night that Pete Buttigieg, I was at his event, on the night that he declared he won Iowa. And later, they never figured out who won Iowa. He, he just came out. Remember this? He came yeah. out and declared that he was the winner. And uh, the crowd was going wild for Pete Buttigieg. It's it's fun to cover the, uh, the Iowa caucuses because you're in a tiny gymnasium at a high school where you have all these people pumped up, and it's the only thing on the national news that night. They're just going wild. And, you know, when you see Bernie Sanders speaking, and it, it seems like he's talking to a giant crowd, he's like at the Holiday Inn, you know, in, uh, in Des Moines. And uh, all of the other candidates had come out, and, you know, they were waiting, and they were giving a speech that was sort of along the lines of, we're waiting to see what happens. Buttigieg comes out and says, we won. And that meant going into New Hampshire, he was kind of thought of and written about and talked about as the winner, yeah. even though we didn't even know what the numbers were. To your point, he sort of seized the moment, grabbed it, and 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 in that respect, had some uh, had something to trade. You know, when it came yeah. to uh, dealing with Biden, who would eventually be the nominee.
Yeah, and even if you look at like you know more recently Julian Castro, there's a guy whose yeah. presidential campaign never really kind of got going. You know, it's like, but towards the end he kind of found his footing as a national you know, you know voice for you know, uh, the the people who America forgets about. You know, the homelessness, uh, people on the edges. You know, the immigrants. You know, like he really kind of started finding a voice for himself, and like and I think his brand like. You know, even though he, you know, clearly wasn't, you know, a contender for the White House at that point, his brand grew bigger. And now here he's doing like MSNBC stuff. He's, you know, got a gig, you know, he's going to be teaching at Harvard Law School. Mm -hmm. Like all sorts of good stuff happens. So it's like, yeah, there's there's no shame in running for president and not winning uh, in a primary. You know, it's like Texas is filled with them. You know, it's like I remember when Phil Graham you know, ran for president and people were going, Bill Graham. he really, you know, he was legitimately thought of as a contender at one point until then everybody started, you know, kind of hearing, he might be listening to this, so I don't want to go too far. Phil Graham. Yeah. You know, I talked my to him favorite... not too long ago and he's, he's, he's clearly <laughs> pays a lot of attention still to politics. So yeah. Well, hey, I mean, another Texas legend, uh, you know, one of those guys who's sort of bigger than life. I, he, I remember listening to a speech of Phil Graham. He said something like, I'll get the quote, not quite right. I'll, I'll, I'll get it a little wrong, but he said something like, I own more guns than I need, but not as many guns as I want. <laughs> and I just thought, we are different. Anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so all, all these issues, border security, abortion, um, and because, look, Abbott's talking border security. That he, That's the main thing. I mean, people ask, why is he talking about the kids in schools, kicking the, uh, the quote-unquote illegals out of schools? Uh, for one thing, I think it is something that, as Vladek talked about, if you start to say that these previous decisions don't hold up, that they don't matter, that we can just start reversing uh, all of these different uh, uh, court cases, then you're going down a road where some other rights that people have are potentially going to be eroded. That's true. But it's also true that Abbott would like to talk about the border more than anything else, right? Yeah. And one of the reasons for that is because Republicans are making this big push into South Texas. One thing that's frustrated me a little bit is that when people say South Texas, they mean the Valley. Okay. You'll get why I'm saying this. <laughs> so, so I tend to think of South Texas as someone who grew up South of I-10 as you did, I think as well, right? You were in San Antonio. So you were yeah. sort of even with I-10. Barely South uh, of I-10, but yes, okay. I was South of it. <laughs> I mean, I was South of 59, which is now 69. Okay. So it's technically Southeast Texas, but whatever, uh, you know, near Victoria. So, so I think of, you know, areas that if you go from San Antonio, I-10 corridor, and then South, you're talking South Texas, but that takes in a giant area, Yes. right? The place where people live and where you could go mine for votes is in four counties, which we know as the Rio Grande Valley, right? Yep. That's what people, when Ted Cruz, when Greg Abbott, when any of these people say South Texas, they mean the valley. So I saw Ted Cruz predicting boldly that there's going to be Republican gains in South Texas this year in 2022, as there were in 2020. And he's talking about border security. He's talking about abortion. He's talking about these culture war issues where you have some Latinos who are much more conservative than people who generally are leaders in the Democratic Party. And Cruz went so far as to say that South Texas and again, when you hear him say South Texas, remember, he means the valley. He says that that part of Texas is going to be solid red, solid Republican this November. My prediction is in November, 
South Texas is turning bright red. South Texas has been a heavily Democrat region of our state for 100 plus years. This November, I think we're going to elect Republican members of Congress. I think we've got a good shot at electing two or even three Hispanic women Republicans to represent South Texas. Because I can tell you, when I sit down at roundtables in South Texas, elected Democrats tell me if my party is the party of open borders, I can't support that. And I can believe that if he was in the Valley. I'm putting that in bold and italics. If he said that, if, if, if he said he was at a roundtable in McAllen, maybe in Brownsville, but probably more in McAllen, um, maybe in Harlingen, I can believe everything he just said. But if he was in San Antonio, no, that's yeah, not what Demo- that's not what Democrats would say. And, here, and this is the thing. And don't get it twisted. This is all of all of this coverage in the Washington Post, New York Times, all over the place. South Texas Latinos are ready to vote for Republicans. This is it's it's draining to me, Jeremy. There are more Latinos who live in DFW than live in the Valley. Yeah. Okay, and the Latinos who live in DFW are voting for Democrats, right? And the same thing in Houston, where there are more people than anywhere else in Texas. Same thing in San Antonio. Same thing in Austin. Same thing in El Paso, which is the border, but nobody's going to say it's quote South Texas because it's nowhere near the Valley. Same thing, mostly in uh, in Laredo. Right. Which is not in the valley either. Right. So uh, these folks are still voting for Democrats. One part of Texas. I'm stressing this for a reason. One part of Texas may be an opportunity for Republicans and not just because people's attitudes have shifted. And maybe the uh, folks who live in those areas have seen their values not reflected by the Democratic Party, but also because of some of the things that happen in the overall dynamic with President Trump running for office. There are a lot of folks who just like the guy sort of as a celebrity. These would be some of the Latinos in South Texas who would be guys driving a truck with a gun rack on the back. Who do you think they're going to vote for? Maybe not a Democrat, right? So you have that, but then you also have one other thing that none of these people are mentioning, which is the district lines were just redrawn specifically to do what Cruz said, which is elect some Republicans to Congress, elect some Republicans to the legislature from places that have traditionally gone to Democrats. That is Republicans changing the rules or changing the way that the election is run in the area and not just some organic thing that's happening because Latinos suddenly agree with Republicans across the board. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and boy, you hit on a lot of things as a you know San Antonio kid. I, I'm sure I speak for a lot of San Antonians out there who are like, you know, we were South Texas. <laughs> so be careful how you call right. South Texas, South Texas. It's one of those things like you be careful where, what you say is, you know, Southeast Texas, too. You, got, you just got to be yeah. careful who your audience is. Yeah, I mean, and, I'm yeah, from South. I mean, I think of myself as from Southeast Texas. I'm from Wharton County. But people yeah. in Beaumont would say I'm from somewhere else. Like, But yeah, they're, exactly, they're from Southeast exactly. Texas. And just to underscore what you're saying, the valley, if you're driving from San Antonio to the valley, it's four hours from one to the other. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and then and so the other point here is this, like, and you kind of hit on this, but like the the Hispanic vote, you know, was overwhelmingly even more so for Joe Biden uh, over Donald Trump in places like San Antonio and Dallas and Austin. It's like you're saying, it's like, look at the numbers that came out of Bear County. You know, you know, San Antonio went 
harder for Joe Biden than they have for any Democrat since LBJ. <laughs> it's like, don't tell me Hispanics are like, you know, flocking to Donald Trump and Republicans. It's not happening. In that, some is, that is not happening. Everybody's so focused it, on what happened in Star County, where there's, right. you know, there's, you got to understand Star County. It's, it's south of Webb County. There's a lot of Border Patrol guys who end up living down there. It's a, it's a, it's still a, like a rural conservative area too. Yeah. And so there, you have a lot of things going on there that like might be affecting this it's not just about you know you know hispanics are flipping no no it's well, like right. there's more to it look beyond star county it's like you know webb county and hildago county and cameron county you know yeah were, were there some erosion in those places sure you know but you know I, i'm not gonna say those erosions for democrats means like we're about to flip red it's not gonna flip red in cameron county I'll put money on it right now. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're they're, fl they're focusing on Star County, where the district attorney briefly prosecuted a woman over an abortion. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is not some. It's not anything that you would think of as a traditional a a liberal democratic area that's now suddenly going to flip to Republicans. I mean, they, this is the narrative that Republicans want to push: is that you have all these Hispanics, all these all these Latinos are, are flipping over to the Republican Party, and some are. But it's more complicated yeah. than that. It's 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 quite nuanced. So, one other thing here, I saw, and this is um, just interesting. Earlier this week, we published a quorumreport.com a letter from Elections uh, Committee Chairman in the House, uh, Briscoe Kane, about how he wants to push for any business that helps a woman get an abortion financially paying for travel or anything else, that they should not even be allowed to do business in Texas. And he said he would push legislation in the 2023 session of the legislature to make that happen. Now, it's not clear how that would be accomplished. I, a lot of the businesses he's talking about don't even have to be licensed in this state. I mean, let's say a, a home builder helped somebody get an abortion by pay, help, help pay for an abortion. Did you know that um, the person who builds your house in Texas is not licensed. I did not know that. No, there's no license for building. <laughs> um, the, the, the licensed trade in, uh, trades in Texas are very limited. It's plumbing and electricity, and that's basically it. There may be some others, but, but, that, but the actual home builder, no, not licensed. Um, Amazon, to, you know, to drop off stuff at your house, they don't have a license. They don't need a license for that in Texas. Nothing is licensed. Almost nothing is licensed in Texas. Right, there are some things people are going to send me notes and say there's different licenses, but but for the but for the most part, we're a free marketplace. That's the point I'm making. So you have Kane saying that he's going to somehow keep people from doing business. If we were a state like California, where everything is licensed, just about everything, they could say, hey, guess what? If you did this thing that we don't agree with, we'll pull your license, or we'll subject you to some fine or whatever. Um, but you have Tesla, which has been a big bragging rights thing for Governor Abbott and others, just this afternoon, Washington Post, they put out a report that says Tesla covers travel costs for workers who seek abortions. This is very interesting. Let me read from the story. Tesla is covering travel costs for employees seeking out-of-state abortions, joining the ranks of major companies like some of the ones I mentioned, Amazon and um, Lyft and others, who have introduced a similar policy to benefit workers affected by new restrictions in the past few months, new restrictions like the ones passed in Texas and 
further restrictions we will see coming up if Roe versus Wade is overturned. Remember, the governor signed a bill into law that says all abortions are illegal, just about, if Roe is overturned. Back to the story. The company said in its 2021 impact report released today that it expanded its safety net program and health insurance offerings last year to include, quote, travel and lodging support for those who may need to seek health care services that are unavailable in their home state. Now, Jeremy, how many Republican officeholders were promoting the fact that Elon Musk has built this giant facility here in Travis County? Have you driven out to that thing? Yeah, I have. Have you driven by it? The yep. Gigafactory? Yep. It's huge, right? And all these guys bragging about this all the time. It's bringing all these jobs in. We're building uh, Teslas here in Texas. We have SpaceX down in Cameron County. All this cool stuff that Musk is doing. And he's a little more complicated a figure than some of these people want to make him out to be. Am I anywhere close to right with that? Yeah, I um, think you're on Greg Abbott, just last year on CNBC, I think this was in uh, September of last year, he said that people like Elon Musk specifically are not upset about the various social agenda policies that have been pushed in Texas. In fact, he used Elon Musk as the prime example to make his case. And what Abbott is trying to say is that, look, you have all these liberals trying to say that, you know, if we if we pursue social conservatism, then somehow that's going to run business out of here. Abbott says the opposite is true, that Musk likes all this stuff. And that's what he said on that business network. This is not slowing down businesses coming to the state of Texas at all. In fact, it is accelerating the process of businesses coming to Texas, particularly, Morgan, interestingly. Uh, they are leaving the very liberal state of California. And i got to tell you, whether it be Elon Musk, who I talk to frequently, mm -hmm. uh, Elon had to get out of California because in part of the social policies in California, and Elon consistently tells me that he likes the social policies in the state of Texas. Elon Musk likes the social policies in the state of Texas, but his own company is already paying for employees to travel outside of states where an abortion might be illegal to go get one somewhere that it is legal. I saw somebody just the other day, Jeremy, tweeted out a picture uh, from back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, it, was a, it was an advertisement. I believe in the Houston Chronicle, or it might have been in the, might have been in the Houston Post. I'll double check it, but it was in the one of the Houston papers at the time, and it was an advertisement for getting your abortion in New York, right? Like if you could afford to go to New York, you could get it. And at that time, there was no Tesla or Amazon or Apple to help you with it, right? So it it, it wouldn't even be someone who might be upper middle class. Who, who might work at a company like that who could go to New York or go to somewhere else to get an abortion. Um, and now that's being made possible. And you have Republican office holders threatening companies like Tesla, which Governor Abbott can't stop bragging about them being here, threatening that they should not be able to do that, that they ought to, the way I read Kane's letter, is they ought to shut down that gigafactory here in Travis County uh, because they might help one of their employees with this. And and look, I think all of this stuff is shifting. The way that Abbott is talking about it is not the way he would have talked about it during a referendum on abortion in 2014, right? If, if he was right, 
that 20, let's just say for sake of discussion, if he was right, that 2014 was a referendum on abortion in Texas, which it really wasn't, but let's just say that, um, he would have talked about it one way at that time. Now he's talking a little more cautiously about it. As we said, although we know where he stands on this stuff, he's talking a little more cautiously about it. Um, and, and it's not just abortion. It's the anti-transgender children issue. It's uh, it's the pornography in schools thing that we talked about previously on other shows. Um, it's all these things that are designed to make the MAGA crowd happy with our current state leadership. That business guys are saying, "Look, I'm trying to sell Teslas to everyone. Yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to do grocery delivery. If you're Amazon, I'm trying to do that for everyone, whether they're Republicans, Democrats, whatever. They have a more progressive workforce." They have a more progressive customer base. Um, and when I say more progressive, I just mean not a till of the hunt. They have, they have people who are, you know, just, a, you know, more toward the center and they've got folks who are Republicans and Democrats alike. They want to serve and people who work for them who are Republicans and Democrats. And I don't think a guy like Musk likes being pigeonholed as he's some kind of a right wing lunatic. Well, this is one of the guys who's, you know, taken the initiative uh, on climate change, for example. I mean, his whole thing is to battle climate. I mean, his main things. As I understand it, battling climate change and getting humans to Mars. That doesn't sound like old school conservatism to me. Yeah. And if there's one thing, uh, one lesson to be taken from everything we just saw happen in Florida is that there is no company that is above reproach, you know, mm -hmm. in today's politics. So, it's right. like, you know, it's like, it, it, you know, Elon Musk is just like every other you know, company owner, you're always one step away from getting on the wrong side of these things. You know, mm -hmm. I don't care if you're Exxon, I don't care if you're AT&T, I don't care if you're American Airlines, all these things that were once like, you know, you know, don't mess with those guys. Now you have like people like when Dan Patrick was going after American Airlines for yeah. getting involved in any of this stuff, you know, right. it's like, or all the businesses, like they singled, you know, they remember all the groups that came out against the bathroom bill mm -hmm. and like, you know, that clearly, you know, ran into, you know, a chainsaw with the Republican, you know, you know, leadership. And, and I have no doubt it's only a matter of time before, you know, Republicans see something from Tesla. They're like, whoa, wait a minute. We didn't know we were supporting that, you know. Right. So, you know, once they get wind of this, you know, Tesla helping pay for people to get abortions in other states, once they get mm -hmm. wind of that more throughout the party, what happens? You know, do we stop doing you know, big splashy public events with them and have parties down in Travis County. Right. I bet the, the big, uh, what did he call it? The, was it a giga rodeo or a, a Tesla rodeo? What did I can't remember. I can't yeah, remember yeah, what his rodeo thing was. Uh, someone's going to write to me and tell me what it was. Cause I, you know what? I don't care enough to look it up, but he did have this big rodeo out at the, out at the Tesla uh, deal. Uh, I would say the, the difference uh, between, the bathroom bill fight, one of the differences between the 2017 bathroom bill fight and what we see now is at that time for a lot of the lobbying that was done against the bathroom bill that was still sort of done old school and kind of under the radar where you did have some companies coming out, a lot of the tech companies in particular who were saying, we don't want to see this pass because we think it's discriminatory. But a lot of the other groups that were against that, including some of the big players in oil and gas in Texas and others uh, who have, uh, you know, at least quietly tried to work against some of this anti-LGBTQ stuff, um, they were doing it old school and it wasn't this big explosion in public like it was last year with Patrick, just by name. 
calling out American Airlines or like Ron DeSantis in Florida by name calling out Disney, uh, which is a big economic player in Florida, of course. And we've got big economic players here in Texas who don't agree with a lot of what's being put on the agenda at this point. So we will continue to track all of it. That is definitely enough of this particular episode of the show, Jeremy. Yep. I've had it. I'm going to go on to my second drink of the weekend. If you enjoy the show, you should be a subscriber on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, however you listen to your favorite podcasts. We don't judge that. But just give us a – you can judge us, though. Give us a rating. It can be good or bad. We can handle it. We would prefer five stars. Uh, and write nice things about the show if you could. It helps us out a lot. Subscribe at quorumreport.com, houstonchronicle.com, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.